wait a minute. So we're spending a lot of money on this CRM stuff and we're spending a lot of money on optimizing our customer experience. And we're actually really spending quite a lot of time in trying to appeal and appease uh, a various particular fairly small group of people that in the light of this evidence will actually always remain fairly small. Jesus, if you think about it in that way, we're really overspending on that on that thing. So it's about rebalancing just m- literally money, but also just people's attention and focus on Jesus. Are you telling me that, let's say we're, we're in a CPG company here. Jesus, are you telling me that about 40% of my customers will only buy me once in five years? Yeah, that's perfectly normal. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to understand and apply marketing principles that are based on evidence so you can be more effective in building your brand. My guest today has been helping businesses grow their brands for more than 15 years. He's a specialist of evidence-based marketing and how this affects the use of media and making ads and all of that. He's also a guest lecturer in many business schools around Europe, I believe. And he's the author, or would you say the co-author of one of the best marketing books I've ever read. And I don't say that lightly. 42 short chapters with 38 different authors, but fuck, it's been one of the most transformational books I've ever read, and I, I generally mean it. So super happy to have you, Wimmer Schneiders, on board. Hi. Hi, Louis. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. So what I want to do today is really come up with the biggest myth around the biggest, most uh, painful, almost hurtful myth around marketing and how it deserves small businesses in particular and what to do about it. Based on your experience working with clients, based on your lectures and everything, I have the summary of Eat Your Greens next to me, the one that I've, the one I've <laughs> built and reread. So I have plenty to start with, but let's debunk a few, right? So the first one that I like to talk about, and I love what you said, is the buyer behavior is shaped like a banana. How do you say it with the banana again? You say... Um- yeah, so if you, if you look at a, at a customer base, what several decades of work have now very robustly proven, demonstrated is that regardless of the industry or sector that you operate in, with some maybe some with only just a, a very few exceptions here and there, but generally speaking, for the vast majority of people working in either B two B or B two C, or whether you're selling shampoo or whether you're selling mortgages, what you'll find is that your customer base, the way it's made up. You will find that that there there's always a very there's a fun, there's a, there there's always that same pattern in there which which follows a statistical distribution. Technically speaking, what you'll find is that your co- customer base will follow uh, a statistical distribution called the negative binomial distribution, and that's a hard thing to remember. Yeah, exactly. And if you would draw it, it, it would it's a curve. And uh, it's- right, it starts so it starts high on the left hand side. It starts high on the y-axis and then goes down quite sharply. And then it, it goes around the x-axis, the one at the bottom, and follows that and then goes slightly up at the end. And the x-axis, just so people visualize it since the podcast, the x-axis is the number of purchases, is it? This is the thing where people in, for example, certain industries will have a hard time recognizing it. Because indeed, originally, what Bergen and his colleagues found when they were analyzing brands in consumer packaged goods, where often enough people would buy the brand or just from the category multiple times a year, you would put the number of purchases on the x-axis on the bottom. 
On the x-axis from left, you would have the number of purchases ranging from zero or one, depending on where you want to start, right up to maybe sometimes even a hundred times a year. It depends a bit on, on the product category, obviously. But the idea is you, you have a, a number of purchases ranging from very low to very high from left to right. And on the y-axis, you could do, you could put two things. You could put the number of households or people or the percentage of people, which is an important um, distinction to make, uh, especially if you want to read these graphs correctly. But what you would do on the y-axis is just simply, all right, how many people or what proportion of all the people that have bought the brand just bought once versus 50 times? And then indeed, what you will find is that it, it, will, it will show you a curve. It will, it will show you that most people will buy very infrequently or just very little. But yeah, sure enough, there are people that buy you a lot. So this is always what I tell people. The most important thing is to take out from that distribution is that a lot of people do a little and a few people do a lot. Now, if you stick with that one, a lot do a little, a few do a lot, and you then analyze uh, an industry where uh, frequency of purchase is not so much a thing. For example, if you buy cars, people will only buy a car once every five years. Or if you think about phone subscriptions, that typically also happens uh, only once every well year or maybe in, uh, several years. Or health insurance, where which you need to renew every year. So there are a lot of industries where you know, though that the number of purchases is just going to be one or, 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 yeah, or just two over a period of five years, if you will. And this is what, what I describe in, in Eat Your Greens as well. If you then just plot the data, relevant data for those industries, which you take, you allow for more time. Instead of the typical 52 weeks, right? Instead of the typical one year, we put five years in the x-axis. Not the x-axis, but the period of time we look into those purchases, right? Exactly. We'll find that pattern again. But it, what happens is that the purchasing just haps, happens in what, what I, well, I describe as in slow motion. But it, well, it's not slow motion. It's just you acknowledge the fact that, hey, we know people just only buy five cars in their lifetime. But let's now look at how often people buy the same brand or do they actually buy different brands? And you could, so you could put on the x-axis, and that's not originally how the MBD uh, what, the, what the model sort of, if you really want to model it, we'll use. But if you just look at revenue, so how much revenue was generated by, by our clients, you will again, almost always find that, for example, most of your customers will fall in the lowest revenue category. So the people spending a little, a lot do a little, a lot will only spend 10,000 euros with you, for example. But sure, you've got some clients that'll spend 40 million on you. So we've, so I've, it's not in each of greens, but there was a work paper that I wrote where I showed data from a B2B service company, data spanning four years, a very large professional services company in B2B, where we had multiple years of data, uh, a fair amount of data points. And uh, what you found is that the vast majority of the clients of that professional services company fell into the lowest revenue category. So that was literally the clients that would spend about let's say 100,000 euros on average. Uh, but this was like a, a very large professional services firm that if I would tell you the name, everybody would go, oh yeah, I know that one. Uh, but sure enough, they had some clients that spend 40 million with them over the course of four years. Now, this, is, this, goes, this goes into your probably one of your other questions. So what happens, uh, especially in services, if you just think about that category, what happens if people realize that they've got clients that spend 40 million with them in four years? You will hire an account manager or a relationship manager, 
and you will buy a CRM system because you want to know who, who that person is and you will go out golfing, sailing, you'll take them to events and you'll... You'll, you'll You'd build like a loyalty program, right? Loyalty campaign and making them more loyal because if only we could get 50% more customers to spend that much more, right? Imagine where we would be, right? Imagine how much money we will be making and the, the, the thing is that's if you, want to, if you want to boil it down to what are the two main things that still go wrong in marketing it's that notion of we surely we need to separate ourselves from our competitors so the differentiation argument and but and this is tied to the second thing the idea of we should surely if we do a good job these people will come back for more and whether that's shampoo or just mortgages it's especially in services this idea of we just need to do a better job at finding the, the people that are going to be very loyal and we just need to make sure we get more of those it's something that is it's so persistent and very often not challenged enough. Yeah, because rationally, it makes sense, right? Rationally, it makes complete sense. And to be honest, this is the biggest thing I had to unlearn in my career, which is like this idea of this cute idea of the Pareto law, like 20% of your customer make 80% of our revenue. And let's just focus on that. Let's them make them more loyal and and then when you read all the work, the eat your greens, how brands grow and all the papers that go with it, you're like, fuck, no, that's not true. Heavy buyers are less important to sales than what we think, right? So the finding is like around, it's actually around 20% of customer make up for up to 60% of sales, not 80, which has big implication. That means that all the light buyers make up 40%. That's not a small fucking thing. And over time, the light buyers become more and more important because some heavy buyers would go, right? So it's like, that was just boom. Like that was such a, a massive learning. So from folks who might not have heard of this, maybe still thinking the opposite way, what's the number one specific thing for them to change in their marketing? And when I say they, like it could be not necessarily a massive brand, it could be like a, a freelancer marketing his work, small business, whatever. So what would be the one specific thing they could do today or start doing? Whether you're a, a very small brand or a very big brand, that, that distribution will still look like a banana. There are, some, there are some slight differences when it comes to that distribution. So if you're a small brand, what you'll need to appreciate is that you'll have many more light buyers proportionally. So as a proportion of your total customer base, those light buyers, the ones that do a little, will, that you will have more of those compared to a bigger brand. So the bigger brand will also have a lot of light buyers in absolute numbers, and this is the important distinction, in absolute numbers, that bigger brand will actually have more light buyers. But as a proportion of the whole customer base, what you'll find is that actually the proportion of those very light ones is actually going to be less than the small brand. But still, you're faced with the same reality, the fact that you'll just have many light buyers or many people that do a little and a few that do a lot. And it's it act, this really requires quite a bit of talking through and digesting to help people realize. And that's just that really comes from looking at the data. And then once people realize, even if you're just a small brand, and I talk to plenty of small businesses, once you get a once you get once that when you, once you get that across, once that sinks in, what you'll find is that a lot of companies understand and appreciate that they really do need to change a lot of the things that they do. It's never a question of just go for the lights or just go for the heavies. It's always a question of balance because you obviously want to sell and acquire all of these types of buyers. You just need to realize that even if you're a small brand, your challenge will still be to acquire many more of those lights. But I typically tell people 
the notion of increasing your customer base, going for penetration, if you will, continuous recruitment. So that's so at the forefront of any marketing plan or activity, uh, the objective should be to what degree is this helping us to continuously recruit new people? And the thing is, if you manage to do that, what you will find is that the thing that everybody wants so dearly, loyalty, increased loyalty, it will come as a bonus. And that's what this pattern tells you. And I keep, I sometimes think I'm like a broken record or I just keep coming back to the same thing. So let me just pause right here because obviously your work inside out, all of this stuff inside out. But for listeners, let me just repeat it in my own words that you understand the implication of this. You can't engineer loyalty by trying to make your clients more loyal, right? The only way, the only true way to increase loyalty is by getting more people and increasing market share in your category, right? So the more, the bigger you become, the more loyal, slightly loyal customer would become. That's it. There's no other way, right? So you can't loyalty program your way into it. You can't do any of that. And that's the hard truth. And so what you just said there, the only way, which simplifies so much, is to try to reach as many of the right people as possible, right? In our category, in the things we do. That's it. So that simplifies so much of the bullshit. So like you say, you talk to a lot of small businesses and and all of that. So now that they've changed their mindset and they appreciate this new thing that they had to unlearn, like if you really had to pick this one thing that they could be doing specifically, what what would it be once they change their mindset? I think once that happens and people appreciate that there's no way around that, and as you say, whether you're working as a loyalty ma- uh, or retention manager or an acquisition manager, you're all, you're, you're all working uh, towards the same goal, continuous recruitment. What, ha- what will happen, and I would say that's the most important change and shift I see it happening within you know, the, the companies that I work uh, with or for, is that what happens is that they'll start rebalancing you know, the time and effort that they put into things so, or the resources they'll spend on things because <clears throat> um, and rebalancing in the sense that um, if, you, if you really analyze how much time and money is being spent on what you could call what I would typically call, <clears throat> let's say, the right end of that distribution, the right end of the banana, so the stuff that sits at the right end of that x-axis, so the people that sit there. Yeah. What you'll find is that, so practically speaking, simple example, once people realize that, they'll go, wait a minute, so we're spending a lot of money on this CRM stuff, and we're spending a lot of money on optimizing our customer experience, and we're actually really, we're actually really spending quite a lot of time in trying to appeal and appease uh, a very particular, fairly small group of people that in the light of this evidence will actually always remain fairly small. Jesus, if you think about it in that way, we're really overspending on that on that thing. So it's about rebalancing just m- literally money, but also just people's attention and focus on Jesus. What are you telling me that let's say we're, we're in a CPG com- uh, uh, company here. Jesus, are you telling me that about 40% of my customers will only buy me once in five years? Yeah, that's perfectly normal. Actually, you're doing pretty well then, even if you think about it in those types of categories. So yeah, it's about half of your customer base will buy you once in five years. And that's going to be pretty normal. And that's that's actually essentially your norm or your benchmark. So don't freak out about the fact that's actually going to remain like that, even if you manage to go from like the fifth round in the category to the first round, even if that's even a realistic objective. But think about all the things that, that it means for 
the degree to which people are really going to be interested in your newsletters, your programs, the degree to which they're going to be interested in, in, in buying another product from you? Probably not. Sure enough that you should try, but just don't expect that to happen very much. So how about rebalancing some of that, those resources on just making sure that Louis Grignier is going to visit Amsterdam maybe one, maybe in the upcoming three years, but we do want him to buy our brand of deodorant because he f- just simply forgot because he was on a plane and then realized, oh shit, I haven't got my deodorant with me. But the thing is, it's extremely important to be made widely available and establish some form of what the Ehrenberg Bass would call mental availability, or just simply in plain terms, just being well known or just known to a certain degree. That's massively important to, uh, to, to many brands. And it's amazing how easily we forget about that. Also, just because as people, this is why the other stuff, the stuff that actually isn't very effective, we love the, the idea of a shortcut. That, to me, the, the whole notion of growth hacking is just simply built on the premise of, you know what? Traditionally, yeah, marketing was a really, it was really hard stuff. It's really hard to get it right. And look, we just, we always need a lot of money, but now we've come up with something where we we offer you this shortcut. We've got this amazing tech and we can find you the people that are in the market right now and we can target them and we will do them an offer. And you, what do you know? They'll start buying your stuff. There's no tomorrow. And the thing is, that's really a pipe dream that's been sold to us, but we're all gullible as marketers. We, not just marketers in general. People love the idea of a shortcut. This is why we still buy products that promise us uh, a six-pack in, in, with just five minutes of work a day. <laughs> that's just not how it works, but it's really hard to resist because, and that goes down, that boils down to an, another, I think, big issue with specifically marketers, I think, in general. But uh, I think it's a more of an issue uh, in, in many more places um, or professions as well is the ability to analyze and interpret data really scrutinize the data in a way that you can go, wait a minute, we can't really say that from that data, for example. So before we go into this, let me just go back slightly to what you said and to go into, again, re-saying it so that people really understand the importance and the magnitude of what you said, because I can't overstate how important it is. That's when, that's why when I work with clients and for my own business, I obsess about getting known, not because of my ego, but because I know this is the key, right? So being reaching as many people as I can. That's why this podcast is very wide and it's appeal anyone. But then I have other ways to, to get the right clients based on who they are. Like the two mistakes that are based on that are to me, like when it goes to targeting based on the book, based on what I found in the book and the other, is like going for the easy sell is a big issue. So high ROI people, those sales would have happened anyway. It looks good for a while until it doesn't, right? So that could, what's one of the shortcuts. All we have to do is sell to those loyal customer, heavy spender, and that's it, we're sorted. And the second one is going for the one and only, right? Differences within a category that are very minor. So like looking for the tiny differences, uh, one part of my customer base, they, they are more Catholic than the rest. And so therefore, let's do something specific for them. They have way many, way more similarities and differences. So instead of trying to like just find differences, like focusing on what they have in common. So let's talk about the second thing, the data now. So what you described, let's maybe go uh, do a bit of a crash course for marketers, marketing consultants or whatever on how to make sure that you interpret data the right way. You don't, you don't do stuff based on erroneous data at best. So what's the, what, what is the number one mistake to avoid there? So again, I'll go back to that, that distribution, if you will. If there, there's this thing that I think few people realize is that if you have a lot of people that do a little and a few do a lot, 
the mistake that people very often make is we just then need to find more of those uh, heavier buyers or the people that are more into our brand or just a category. So sure enough, they might not be buying us very often, but look, these people do buy from the category very much. So it's more our challenge more to find those type of people. Um, but the thing about that distribution and the people that sit within that distribution or customer base they'll tend to change their buying over time. And this is something that's been well-established. And uh, I think Byron calls it buyer moderation. And I think the statistical term is is regression to the mean. What happens is that people change their the degree to which they buy your brand or even from the category over time. So the lights become more heavy and the heavy become more light. And actually there's a fairly sort of robust pattern in there as in how many people will change over time. And I think there are academics or, or consultants out that is happening. That's one thing also to get across with your clients is that you, go, that you tell them, wait a minute, don't forget the people that might be buying you a lot now, they, some of them will change their behavior. We know that for a fact. And this is, I think, the thing about analyzing and interpreting the data is that as a whole, on aggregate, this is what buying behavior looks like. But if we start zooming in on the individuals... And this is how what you know what, we, what we've seen go wrong in the whole targeting uh, arena, if you will, is that once we zoom in on the individuals, it actually it's actually really hard to predict who, in uh, individually speaking, is going to change their behavior. And I know um, a lot of tech companies uh, or solution providers uh, will tell you, "Oh no, we've got this great thing going on, whether it's an algorithm or whatever it is." Uh, and we're really good at, you know, pinpointing, you know, these people. Uh, and I think two decades, you know, we're into this now for about two decades or at least a decade. And what we're finding, and even the likes of Google and Meta, whatever you, however you pronounce it, are acknowledging or you know, even putting out reports acknowledging that, Jesus, this is actually pretty hard. And, and actually, the, the data might not be as, as good, robust, reliable uh, as we hoped. But this pinpointing individuals and predicting who's going to do what in the future actually is really hard when i was looking for your work and stuff i was i was going on your twitter for a bit and i uh, i saw a tweet from two years ago where you shared someone who said he asked the question what's your best marketing advice in in under five words and the guy replied focus on retention over acquisition right and and you just said the gift that keeps on giving and what I like about this is the comment after, which is, help me, why are you criticizing? Is it because he's saying as a blanket advice or it, like loyalty is bullshit? And you said, you said that basically there's evidence. His colleagues and foreigners, even more than half century before Baron Sharp have, have said it. I'm not arrogant, just so solidly convinced retention is not the biggest growth lever. And, and then there's still the question, well, yeah, but is it just FMCG, like fast moving customer goods, or is it B2B as well? What about SaaS? So like people are really, they are really, it's really difficult to unlearn. And so let me ask the question, because I know a lot of folks listening are in tech, touch like software, software as a service, using software, whatever, like specifically for software and that subscription revenue model. So many people talk about loyalty being the holy grail and let's improve customer experience for your SaaS and you get more customer and they stay for longer. What do you say? Well, show me the evidence. <laughs> Because this is the thing. I think I'm not the only one who's been saying that. I think a lot of people that concern themselves with evidence-based marketing or just evidence-based thinking will go, this is what, this is exactly to your point about these discussions on whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or, or wherever. People will come up with all of these ideas or assumptions and, and ideas on how it will work differently in this industry. And it's just, they'll, they'll come up with all sorts of things that will sound logical. 
And this is the thing. Once once something sounds very logical, people tend to shut off and, and go, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that sounds as if it's different. But I think that the, the, this is what I try to teach students as well. When I, I, I always tell them that when I start my lectures with them, I'm only part of a course, of course, I, I'll tell them, I'm going to tell you stuff that you haven't learned about and you've probably never heard of it. Uh, and I'm going to go away in a couple of weeks and then you'll get someone else who's going to be telling you something completely different, probably. And the only thing I want you to remember, or two things, is one, the banana, and we'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But the other one is actually, a, 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 I, I guess, an even more fundamental question because that it will you will end up finding the banana, if you will, is just show me the evidence. Show, show, okay, you, this is why you think it's different, but then show me that's the case. And then and then you'll get back to the issue of can you really correctly analyze, interpret the data? Can you scrutinize it in a way where you can sometimes go, wait a minute, yeah, you're showing me this data, but this is what's go- this is what's wrong with that data, if you will, or it's, it only provides you with a very selective image. So yeah, of course it will look great this way, but what you're missing is X, Y, or Z. So it's just really just forcing yourself to always be skeptical in a sorry in a in a positive way, as in, it's not that you're dismissing everything, but you're just really simply asking the question, what data is there to support this? Okay, so let's have a look at the data then. About looking at the data yourself and looking for data, looking for the evidence. So what would you advise people listening right now to actually, when they got maybe, I used to create those reports, when you get those reports of, look, like those 10% of customers spend that much, and if we spend more money on them, they'll get we can get even more money, whatever. Like, how do you teach people to basically see smell bullshit from a report? Yeah, I think, so we we use a model to guide discussions, if you will, with clients where we, it's a wheel, it's, it's a circle, but it doesn't really matter what, which shape it takes. Uh, but on the outside, <clears throat> they're all, there are, we, we've listed a lot of the things that marketers can practically work on. So those will be things related to to being more well-known? Are we reaching the right people? Are we saying the things that are relevant to these people? And to what degree do they recognize or, or understand who's been doing the talking, if you will? So those are very, those are things that will fall under the mental availability or well-known uh, pillar, if you will. Then there's all the stuff that's more about being easy to buy, physical availability, as in through which channels are we being making ourselves available? And what is it? What is the thing that we're offering? Is it a suitable offering? Is it catering to all the needs and wants in the market? Or actually, are we maybe just focusing on a, on a very specific group of people or a, a limited set of needs and wants? And can we improve on that? Uh, and the third pillar is as everything is everything that relates to uh, being thought worthy. What about the value? That, pre- that we provide to firm or customers. So that so those will be questions and practical things in the area of the decisions you make relating to the performance of your products and services. Or, uh, what choices have we made when it comes to the services and products that we offer? Have we, are we, how, how does that relate to all the things that we know people want when it comes to that category? And what about the price that we ask for our products and services and the degree to which we might be promoting it? Because, and this is what sits in the middle, is all of these things together will contribute to what we want, namely having people buy our stuff. What are we trying to do as marketers? We're trying to drive choice and get and get paid in the process, right? So we're, we're all trying to drive choice and make sure that we're getting paid properly. And, and that's it. But the thing that sits in the middle, the buyer behavior and what we know about the buyer behavior itself, if you do not understand how things fundamentally work, you're going to fuck up on all these areas that I just mentioned. Why? Because you're, you might be going against the grain of science, if you will, or you're trying to fight gravity, however you want to frame it. 
Now, if you do not understand how fundamentally buyer behavior manifests itself, you're going to cock up. So what is the thing that you need to get, get need to understand whether you're a small business or, or, or a large corporate, you need to understand how things fundamentally work. And, um, uh, and you will need to, to spend a bit of time thinking and talking about that and not just as a sole sole pioneer within your organization. I think most of the work and challenge will, will, will come from making sure people are aligned on that thing that sits in the middle, the buyer behavior. Hey guys, this is how things fundamentally work. And we need to spend some time thinking and talking about this because it affects a lot of the things that we do and it affects a wide group of people. It's not just the marketers, but it's, it's the people working in finance. It's people working in product development. It's the people that are responsible for the advertising. Yeah. What about the guys in trade marketing or sales? Yeah, that's really important to have these people acknowledge and appreciate how that stuff in the middle, the buying behavior, uh, how that works fundamentally. Because that's, that, if you think about organizations, if you think about what all the people that are responsible for the front end of the business or the top end of the P&L, it's all the people that it's everything and everyone who's working together on making sure people will pick up your stuff. They'll buy your thing. So it's not just a marketing thingy. Sure enough, marketing might concern themselves more with buyer behavior. But if, if the rest of the organization doesn't appreciate how that works fundamentally, you're going to have a really hard time. So it's really important that if you're, whether you're big or small, is to have that discussion and get that, make sure that everybody's aligned on those fundamentals. And this is what I find very often is that we actually spend quite a bit of time on just that sort of on those fundamentals. And then once people get that, you, it's amazing to see how quickly a lot of the other things will fall into place and how easily it's going to be to, as I mentioned at the beginning, to rebalance those resources and efforts. So what you're saying is that people are smart enough to, to do their own thing, to make their own decisions, to do all of that once they have the proper learning, which is awesome. So that means this is why I think it's difficult maybe to be very actionable here, because I think at the end of the day, we need to trust people to, to learn about that stuff. Definitely read the book, Eat Your Greens. It's fantastic. I have like full notes here with screenshots and like interpretation of it. And I've learned so much from it. How Brands Grow is another one. And... Do, would you have maybe three, two other resources that you'd like to share today related, related to evidence-based marketing or not? Yeah, this will not surprise people. I, I am a very big fan of what comes out of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute simply because I think what they put out there, I think they very heavily scrutinize the work that they will put out there in terms of, <clears throat> is this really, can we really say that we've now got evidence to support whatever it is they talk about it. So they're very diligent and rigorous about the data and the evidence they want to put forward. Unfortunately, there there are a lot of people that will work and think alike. I would like to include myself in that group, but there are many people like myself who are very rigorous, I think, in their approach, and they will try to be as diligent and rigorous about these things. But so I think, but it's harder to find, let's put it this way. <laughs> Many of these places are less well known <laughs> than the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. So I would definitely for you know, just in general people to encourage people to, to read up on what comes out of that institute, if you will. I think Eat Your Greens was an attempt to at least demonstrate that it's not just that particular institute alone, that there are many like-minded people that are thinking in a similar way and, and trying to prove and put forward things 
that are going to be really productive and helpful for marketers. There, there are more places and publications that people uh, can and should, should read up on. I, I must say, I think another thing that we, we touched upon in this topic, analyzing and interpreting data the right way, I think it's going to be very helpful for people to read up on things like that. And one place where I would encourage people to look is, is a book. It's, it's a book that's been out for ages. It's called The Halo Effect by Phil Rosenzweig. So he's a professor at, at IMD, I think, in Lausanne. And he wrote a book called The Halo Effect. But what's nice about that book is that it shows you, it's more about a book. Of, the book is really about how should I interpret and analyze data and what can or cannot, what can and cannot be concluded from data. And it's not a book about marketing in general. It's really about you know, how can I get better at uh, you know, understanding uh, the world around me on the basis of uh, the data that's been thrown at me. So I would really encourage people to read, read up on that. I think that the authors in each of Greens would be people I would recommend reading up on. For example, Phil Barton's work, uh, Decoded, is, is definitely a book that's worthwhile reading. So before going into 42 <laughs> books that have been written, I would say, to see who's contributed to that publication. And, and there's a lot more uh, to be read up on from those people. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read one, one of my favorite quotes. Actually, I'm going to read a couple. Okay. So the first one from that book. I don't know if it's a verbatim quote or my way of simplifying it sometimes. But anyway, you buy what you are, not the other way around. They're not your consumers. They are consumers of other brands who sometimes happens to buy yours. I fucking love this one. <laughs> I love as, as well when I don't remember who wrote that part writing that use unique selling proposition usp is shit there's no evidence to support the idea let me find another quote here <clears throat> i have some in red which means which means it's good hold on i'm gonna take the time to do this because again i really want to encourage people to read this not because i like you but because it's really good shit um oh yeah one of the transformational thing that i learned from that book and then i'll leave you I'll, I'll leave you to that is the concept of the shadow of the future What you do something that appears costly for you in the short term means that you send reliable signals that you're acting on the basis of long-term self-interest. So it's so good because it, it implies so many things about the behavior of any species, but also as humans. And this explains why brand is important. This explains why people will spend 20 grand on a fucking wedding. This is why uh, you send your employees to, to Tenerife for a company retreat. You're sending... Yeah short-term, long-term signals over, over the short term. Yes. So, yeah, I, I learned so much from that book. So thank you for making it happen as well. You've been a pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much for sharing all of those insights. Where can people connect with you, learn more from you? If you can remember my first name, Wiemer, W-I-E-M-E-R, I think it's going to be very easy to find me online. There's few people with that quirky name. But look me up on LinkedIn, look me up on, on Twitter. I'm more than happy to interact with people. If they have questions, I, I try to, because even I'm able to free up more time, I'm able to do so. Look up Vemer. I work for the Commercial Works. If you're interested in, in my, my business, my, my consulting firm, but I'll be easily found on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I'm more than happy to, to interact and, and engage. Once again, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. This was, this was a nice conversation, Louis. So I enjoyed it very much. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply 
Juma said your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.